Hello, everybody, and welcome to a strange and informal introduction to the show. Connor will not be joining us this week because he has been very busy going back to Chicago, looking for the apartment, looking for the job. His birthday was this past week, so he's a very busy guy. And so today I am going to talk about a couple things that I've been interested in, a couple topics that I've been thinking about. And to kind of just dive right into it, I want to talk about cable a little bit, cable television, and how we're we're kind of on the path back to it. Not in the sense of, oh, everyone's going to start getting Spectrum again, because Spectrum's terrible. But more in the sense of, in terms of costs, in terms of like channels, we're going back towards that. So Netflix, when it kind of popped up, it was one of the only of its kind. Netflix and HBO were, were the two big, big dogs to start off with the whole streaming services. And they did very well. They did very well. That on-demand, instant, they, they had shows you'd like to watch. They started doing original stuff, which did really well. Exclusive stuff like Game of Thrones on HBO Max. And that drew a lot of attention. And those streaming services did really well. But over the past, I'd say maybe two years, two or three years, probably more three years, we've had an, an ins like it's it's doubled, it's tripled on how many streaming services have popped up. You got Apple TV that came out a little while ago with their own original stuff. You have Peacock, which is NBC's thing. You have Paramount Plus. Uh, Amazon Prime Video is probably one of the other big giants, I, I would say. Uh, Disney Plus, you have Hulu, you have Adult Swim, you have a lot of a lot of different stuff in there, and it's just starting to get to the point where it's it's gonna just cost the same as cable normally would, because originally you would have maybe. There were people that I knew who just had like Netflix and, and Hulu and it was, I don't know, $25 a month, which is much cheaper than a normal cable plan. But now it's, it's sort of like, Hey, I want to watch this show on this streaming service. And that's, oh, that's $10 a month. I want to watch something on this. So that's, that's $16 a month on that. That's $5 a month. And it all starts adding up. And then before you know it, you are subscribed to eight different <laughs> eight different, you know, streaming services that now add up to 60, 70, 80 dollars a month. And the whole bit I, I said a little bit about like channels, the those streaming services essentially become channels of, oh, I'm gonna go to Netflix today and see what's there. Or I'm gonna go to Paramount and see what's there. The other really difficult thing and I've run into this. I know a lot of people have run into this. And Netflix is trying to solve it by being by saying, hey, we know what you want to watch. So watch this, which I don't I don't like at all. I don't like how they do that. I, I there have been some shows that I've seen in Netflix is like, hey, you're going to watch this today. Yeah, let's do it. And it might have worked out well. But the feature where it just says play something on Netflix and you just click and they start playing something random. I I really don't like it. And the nice thing that that cable had that these services don't 
is this form of structure and just this is definite this show is going to be playing oh you can you can look 10 hours ahead oh i'm going to be watching i don't know family guy at 10 p.m or whatever you have that structure oh the the, the browns game is on at 1 p.m so you had that type of structure with cable but now with all these streaming services it's essentially a world of of limitless possibilities there's so many different ways routes you can go so many genres it's it's kind of pure chaos at this point where it is very hard for people to figure out what they want to watch and i've had that issue before where I'm look, I, I get on Netflix and I say to myself, I want to watch a movie tonight. I want to I want to pick a movie. Get on Netflix, I start going through. Well, don't I I don't know. I uh, that looks good, but I don't know if I want to watch that, but that also looks good. Okay, no, I'm going to go check HBO. Okay, I have these in my list. I I do want to watch them, but I don't know if tonight's the night. Oh, let's go to Disney. And it's it's this repetitive cycle of, "Oh, what do I pick today?" And it, it sometimes becomes a very difficult decision. While with cable, it was more definite of, oh, well, this movie's on at 8. Okay, I'll watch that. Now, don't get me wrong. I do love the whole no ads thing with these streaming services. I don't, cable has gone to the point where the ads are a little too much. But it, they the cable did have that one nice thing of kind of putting us where in a place where we didn't have to choose, I guess. And sometimes that that's a convenient thing for, for a human being, to not have to choose, just being to like told, essentially, hey, this is what's playing. Watch it if you don't want to. Go, some, go to another channel. And so I do see, and you already have YouTube uh, TV, YouTube Live, Hulu TV. And I see places like, I, I could see services like Netflix, maybe probably disney disney has a lot of different uh different subgenres that they own i could see services like that introducing a feature where it's where it is essentially cable saying hey we have a couple channels if you want to go on oh this is the comedy channel go watch some oh these are some random shows that we shuffle or if you hop onto hulu oh we're gonna throw some rick and morty and family guy and all that on this and so i could see these <laughs> I could just I, I I just see it happening where all these streaming services really just become cable like just serve like cable services cable channels with a whole a lot of extra stuff and I I do I mean I do like the the direction that we have gone overall with with streaming entertainment I I do think that the options we have now are better I like the originals that are being made so I do like it in, in the whole picture. I am just trying to bring bring up how I do think we are we are migrating back to just kind of more of a cluster now of instead of just having cable, now it's five, six, ten different things. And now you gotta pick between all of them and a lot more options, I guess. So the other thing that I was that that I looked into recently are the new Samsung folding phones. And, and I've talked about this before on the show where I think phones, smartphones are at a point in time, and I think they've been at this point for maybe five, six years, where the new generation of the phone, the iPhone 13, the, the Samsung S21, whatever, they're not 
they're not all that special in comparison to what was there the year before, the year before that, or the year before that. The, the upgrades at this point have become so minimal where they're just where they're just saying, hey, the battery's a little bit better, the camera's a little bit sharper, a little bit faster, we upgraded the internals. But it's all very minimal. While with the new Samsung folding phones, that's a whole new... I mean, we are going back in time to, to bring back the folding mechanic, but it's really fascinating to see what Samsung's doing and so they have their two versions of the folding phone. They have the Z Flip and the Z and the Fold. So the Flip and the Fold. And the Flip is the one I'm most interested in. And the upgrade that they've gone to at this point, the upgrade for this third, this is their third generation of both these phones. The upgrade for the Flip looks really, it's, an, it's a good upgrade because it is such a new technology, the folding of the screen, that a year of work, a year of improvements is that you see that you see that improvement. And so the Z flip is essentially, it's essentially a flip phone. You have it shut and it's little clamshell square looking body has a little bit of a screen on the front, like your old flip phones would have that can tell you some some notifications. Oh, you have this on your calendar or you got a text from this person, whatever the time it can tell you all that stuff. And then you flip it open and it's a normal sized smartphone i don't know the exact uh, the exact length and width of the screen but it's just a normal size smartphone at that point and you can do all the smartphone things you would do on it and it's it's really impressive i have heard with the z flip 2 that there were some issues with the screen and that it would break and the, the bend the fold wasn't as sturdy as samsung was saying which I think that's the technology they're going to have to really improve on the most over these next generations of just really making sure that fold is strong and try to make it as seamless as possible because you can still see a little bit of a crease in both of their folding phones. But the other thing they did with this fold is they've, they've been slowly bringing down the price over the, the past couple generations and the flip is officially starting at $1,000, which is still insanely expensive for a smartphone, I think. But it's getting there because I think the first Z Flip started close to two thousand, probably eighteen hundred dollars. So that's an eight hundred dollar difference over three generations of a phone, and it's only going to get better. I I I think that phone, that specific brand of phone that Samsung's making, the Z Flip, they can get it to a point where it's maybe seven hundred dollars in competition with Samsung's other you know, premium smartphones around that price, the the iPhone 12, the, the Pixel, the new Pixels are coming out, the Pixel 6 and 6 Plus. Those look really impressive too. But I think once they can get it down to that price range, you'll start seeing a lot more of those because I love the concept of it. It's smaller. It protects the screen because you have it shut all the time. I, I really like the whole idea around that that type of smartphone. Now for the Z Fold, the, the Samsung other folding phone that, that opens up into a bigger screen. So let me just explain how it looks real quick. So if you were to hold your smartphone, it still has that big screen. So it still is, it can look like a normal, a very thick, but normal smartphone with the screen on the front. You can still do all the stuff, but you can also open it up like a book and it reveals a larger screen, a essentially a screen that's double the size. I think it's about seven inches or eight inches of screen. So it's 
you're going from a phone that you have on the front, and then when you open it up, you essentially have a tablet, a square tablet. Now, I do have to say the ratio that it, that, that creates, it's a, it literally, it does look like a square. It looks like a one-by-one one ratio. Isn't the best format for a phone when it comes to watching videos and whatnot. But in terms of just multitasking and having that big screen, I, I think it does look really convenient to have. If, if, if I were to have a work phone, that would probably be a nice work phone to have. I could split my emails on one side, notes on the other, whatever be doing a meeting on the top half of the phone. And then there, there's a bunch of different possibilities with it. But I do think this version of the Fold, the, the Samsung, the, the book version, is a little less, I, I guess, I, I just don't see it being as popular as the Z Flip. I don't see the convenience of it as much. And, and the big, I think the big reason still is the ratio that it creates when you open it up because a lot of apps aren't optimized to that ratio. If you think of tablets, they're more of a, I would say three to two ratio, maybe something around there. And that, what the, the Samsung Fold does, it's just the screen isn't built for all this stuff, all these apps that are already out there in the, in the app universe. But it's still an interesting phone. It does start at like $2,000. That one they still haven't brought down too much. But it it is just interesting to see this new type of phone. I, I do like seeing different versions of, of the smartphone, different attempts at making a smartphone. I, I find it very interesting. And I, I am excited to see where that goes. And I think Google might in a year or two try to make a folding phone. They are. It looks like they're going back to premium phones, like the they kind of stepped away from premium phones for the four and five pixels. And they made kind of just good pixels, all like general decent pixels. But they, it looks like with the sixes, they're doing a more premium version of their phone again. So they might try to do a folding phone in the future. Apple, I don't see Apple doing this anytime soon. Uh, maybe in, in four years, that's my best guess. Because Apple's usually late to a lot of this, these very crazy innovations. And I don't think folding phones right now are, they're not big enough for Apple to say, oh, we're going to make one of those now. And the technology isn't advanced enough for Apple to say, okay, we can feel safe making a product that will be durable and we know it will live up to the Apple standards. So I don't see Apple doing it anytime soon. Samsung has been the one to be more out there with their products. They were the ones to first introduce the the curved display with their, I think it was their Edge. They called it the Samsung Edge 4 or the, uh, it was something around there, it, but they were the first to introduce that. And they've introduced concepts before that have failed. And Samsung's been really out there with their products. And I, I do like how they try to do things and hope it works. But yeah, the smartphone market is starting to get a little more interesting again because of stuff like that. I, I mean, your general big, big dog phones, the I, iPhone 13 coming out later this year is just going to be a kind of refresh update of the 12. And so you'll, you'll, I mean, it'll be good. It's just not going to be that different. And that the same goes for a lot of your other premium smartphones out there. They just small upgrades, but yeah, the folding phones, they're they are making the, the, uh, the phone market a little more interesting, and I'm happy to see it. And Microsoft has done some folding tablets and phones, too. So there's a lot. 
big companies are interested in the concept. So I, I like seeing that. Anyway, anyway, the last, last thing that I'm going to talk about, it's going to be a short episode, is VR. So I was talking a couple weeks ago with my grandma, and she asked me, what do you think the most innovative piece of tech is? What will be like the craziest tech thing in the future? That kind of question. And I don't think it's smartphones. I, I, I told her I don't think it's smartphones. I don't think they're going to really go anywhere. The next step in terms of insane advancement of the phone is either holographic or in your body with like a chip or something weird like that. And then I said, cars, I mean, I don't think we're getting flying cars. I think the automated driving and whatnot will become a lot more popular. I said electric cars are going to be everywhere in 10 years. But I said VR. I think VR is going to be the most interesting piece of tech. Just this whole, I, I think VR is going to be the most interesting piece of tech for this entire century from, from 2000 to 2100. I think VR will be that defining, oh, that's what, that's what they did that century. And I say this, and right now VR is in the point of, I would say, 2014 to 20, or no, I'm going to say 2013 to 2018, I like the phone era. Because between that time, between like 2012, 2013, and 2018, phones were adding crazy new stuff. Cameras were getting much better. Screens, oh, we're going to make them bigger. A lot of big things. And VR is at that state where they have been doing crazy upgrades to VR, making it more accessible, more portable, better just in general with, with refresh rates on the screens. And it only has me excited for what's to come in VR. And for those of you who don't really understand what VR is, it's essentially this headset. You put it on, and it's a screen, and it covers your eyes. It, it closes in. A cushion goes around your eyes, and you're looking at a screen, maybe an inch, inch and a half away from your from your eyes. And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the screen. And there's a screen for each of your eyes. And it creates this sensation of being wherever the screen is showing you. And you also have these controllers in your hand that you can move around with and whatnot. And so with VR, you can do a bunch of different things, right now at least. There's different games you can play. I've played a game where I'm rock climbing, and I'm moving my hands, I'm climbing up the mountain, and I can look around. And, and the thing with VR headsets is wherever you're looking, that's where you're looking in the game, in that world that you're in. So I could, I could be hearing a waterfall in my left ear, and I'd look over to my left, and I'd see the waterfall. And maybe... If I would turn around my completely turn my body around, not completely. If I did a 180, I'd start hearing the waterfall in my right ear because it's I'm in that environment. And so I played a climbing game. I played games where I'm in the medieval times and I have a sword and I'm fighting people. I've played a game where I'm a magician, like a, a mage, and I'm shooting fireballs and whatnot. And so there are the, the the game aspect of it, but there's also movies that you can experience in VR. And you can do Google Maps in VR. So if you say, hey, I want to go to, I don't know, I want to go to Rome today. I'm going to put on my VR headset and go to Rome and, and look around the streets. Now, the currently, at least, that kind of experience isn't still super immersive. It's very immersive, but you're still looking at pictures and not like a moving environment. And I say VR is going to be this big, big thing for the for this century because 
at some point it will be, and I think this century it will happen, where VR is going to get to a point where A, you'll be able to go anywhere in the world, essentially, and you'll be able to look around and, and see places and f it'll, it'll feel like you're actually there. And I think at some point, I don't know how they're going to do this, obviously, but at some point they're going to have to figure out a way to maybe do something with the brain, different areas of the brain to trigger senses, you know, scent and, and smell. Okay. Those are the same, but smelling the place and maybe the sensation of feeling wind on your body. I, I don't know, but I think at some point we can get to there where we can kind of create that illusion of, oh, you are in this place. And whether it is for that kind of Google Maps, oh, I'm going to go on, I'm going to do a day trip in, in Greece and I'm going to go there. Or if it's, I'm going to play this video game where I'm a pilot in a spaceship and I'm going through the galaxy and it would feel super realistic. And I think that is also the the human way of us achieving teleportation because teleportation is this idea that's very, I'm not going to say absurd, but very hard to grasp. It's, it's the way that that would be achieved is almost impossible, at least to us now. And I think VR is going to be that, that kind of the access point for us to say, oh, I'm, that's teleportation for me. I can put on my VR headset and go anywhere. That's, that's my teleportation of going somewhere different. And so you'll be able to put on those headsets and do whatever, whatever you like. And that will be able to be used, I think, in so many different ways. Whether it is just for fun or entertainment, but also, oh, you're a pilot on a, on a plane. I'm going to train you. Put on the headset. There's your training. You're, you're just doing it in VR. Or any, really, oh, you're a surgeon? You want to, you're, you're, you're training to become a surgeon? Okay, put on the VR headset. We're going to have you do an open heart surgery in VR. The, the possibilities for you are extremely limitless. And I think it's going to be super helpful for, for therapy, for people who need that help in different fields. If they're going through something, open on the VR headset, we're going to put you somewhere that will help you. Or yeah, or for people with PTSD, what whatnot, it will be able to help really anybody. And I also think for the elderly, it will be a really cool way for them to maybe they maybe they're at the point where they can't do much more with their lives and if they put on that VR headset, maybe they could go to places they never thought they would be able to. So I think I think VR will be very, very interesting. I think the next five years of VR will be interesting. I think the next 10 years of VR will be interesting. I'm just very excited to see where this, this the, it goes. I'm just excited to see where it goes because a lot of cool things I, I believe will come from it. And so that's what I told my grandma when she asked. I, I, I explained all those things to her, maybe in a little bit of a longer format. And she was uh, awestruck. She thought it was wild and absurd, as one would. I, I, I mean, thinking about it does sound crazy, but it is very achievable for us and obtainable for us. So I, I, she, was, she was really interested in it, to say the least. And that's, that's my opinion. That's, that's what I think on VR. And that's, that's the technology I'm most excited to see over the next 50 years, over the next 100 years, whatnot. That and, and space travel, those are the two big for me. I, I, do, I am always interested to see what's going on with us in space, whether we'll 
get to Mars or whatever. I, I'm very interested in that as well. But anyway, that's that's all I have. That is that is it for the episode. Very very short episode. I'm uh, helping you move along in your day. Uh, you can go on to your next podcast, maybe, or listen to some music. Maybe you're maybe you're done listening. Maybe you're going to go do something else now. But thank you for tuning in and listening to the show. If you did enjoy it, go ahead and subscribe it, star it, favorite whatever it is to to make sure you always know when we release a new episode. And if you did really enjoy the episode and the show, please go leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's the main area where reviews really help. And you can either do it on your computer. You can type Opinion Central Apple Podcasts and it'll pop up and you can leave a review on your laptop. Or if you have an iPhone or iPad, you could do it right on that as well. And it'd be really appreciated. And we might even read it if you leave if you leave a review and type something for us. Anyway, have a great week. Have a great day. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.